Hello and welcome back to In the Beginning Was the Word, or perhaps it's your first time. I'm out there with Plato now, the cute little pup, in an area that I really like to go on Sundays. It carries the name Andromeda, which reminds me of the Andromeda Galaxy, and that's just funny because <laughs> our princess, she's with this dude who calls himself a, sh a shaman. His name is Durek Verret, and he says that he has come from the Andromeda galaxy to enlighten <laughs> humanity. And, uh, you know, claims such as that has further furthered the radicalization process. And now I'll be getting into some things that'll have them label me a radical or a crazy person or whatever. It's been like that since the beginning, but I don't really care. And so, you know, send it to your friends, share it, listen to it. It's some pretty heavy subject matters. It's because it's my Bible lecture series. So therefore, I welcome you to the first quotation mark episode of In the Beginning Was the Word. Which, like I said, is my Bible lecture series, of which I did create using only audio, uploading it to Spotify on this podcast, which carries the same name as this episode. In the beginning was the word. So you might have listened to this before. If you're new, welcome. Now, my purpose for doing this stems from the current predicament, what that means, how the world is turning and what is happening to our culture. They say politics is downstream from culture and I believe culture is downstream from religion, thus spirituality and in the broader sense our institutions. Now I realize that this is a Andrew Breitbart quote by the way. But I'm not really a fan of the Breitbartian <laughs> dogma and, uh, and worldview and what they're actually fronting. It's just very inconvenient to people now who have been goofing around <laughs> a lot. That so many claims from the American Anglosphere section which was previously an exclusively right-wing nationalist so-called pro-Russian ties narrative is just true. <laughs> but that's a different topic. Uh, all the topics will be covered following the Bible because the subject matter is so heavy and all-encompassing that once I go through this, so this is the first episode, Alpha. It's going to follow the Greek alphabet. The next one will be Beta and then Gamma and so onward. Uh, just the beginning of Genesis up until the flood actually covers so many subject matters that are relevant today. Philosophically, ideologically, socio-economically. Many, many things. Um, you shall discover that. Just bear with me. All right, I'm in a different area now. 
because Plato, well, where I was with him, some parents showed up with their children. Of course, you know, when they see a dog as cute as he is, they go, we want a dog too. <laughs> and then the parents go, it's a lot of responsibility to have a dog. And then they're like, we don't care. We want to pet him. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't continue over there, but I went home with him because he's honestly a bit of a drag to walk around with when I'm doing this type of stuff. He pulls the leash and whatever. He's just a crazy boy. So he's not here anymore, but now I'm out in nature and I will get back to the real content matter of what I was saying. <clears throat> so yeah, I believe culture is downstream from religion, thus spirituality and in the broader, broader sense are institutions. With Jesuit Marxist ideology imprinted into spiritual matters in the academies, I find it necessary to communicate my view on the faith otherwise known as Christianity and showcase the deep level of significance that these stories tales or truths holds in us. Now, this applies whether one believes or not. Like I said, I did make this type of content using only audio. Then I figured video content in the form of slides would serve the observer better. This allows me to pinpoint key reference findings in the memetic sphere. I can meme ideas, people and the extent their philosophy and spiritual state of being takes the collective while also providing the consumer of what I create with images, names and ideas that they can fetch on their own time. This turned out to not be true. It just was not as good as when I keep it strictly audio. Uh, I could give the video content format a go, but watching it I noticed that the content was less encapsulating than when I kept it simple. Another huge advantage of doing it audio only is the fact that I can stay in nature with bird sounds and my free range wrong think fits much better into free roaming walking thoughts as my mouth slips glib. My name is Nils Leo Tungoden, by the way. I am 31 years old and I study theology profession degree with some practical pedagogics, but I am somewhat of a schizoid according to others I've met in the based department. Which is funny, certain ideological sections take mental illness as we currently understand or misunderstand it and enacts hero archetypes from it. And this phenomenon is quite interesting and will be revisited. The heritage and worldview manifested through the word of God fulfilled by Christ as the second man, Adam was the first man, holds, perhaps, according to me at least, the key we're seeking 
to unlock. For this prod <clears throat> project, I'm making a substack that will contain a brief introduction of what the podcast revolves around, specifically for each episode, where all my sources for the so-called schizo takes, based on Enoch Pilled, I guess, will be included. What separates it from ordinary theology lectures? Now, I'm still unsure whether I can call my talks lectures or not. Uh, well, but what separates it is the wide range of topics covered. It is literally all there. So what should one expect if they are new here? Well, comparative, religious, free-range, wrong-think sessions, every topic conceivable to philosophy is readily available through the Bible. Anyway, current events intermingle perfectly. The story of Genesis alone contains highly relevant allegories for every post-enlightenment phenomenon. Cain and Abel, Philo deduction, that's a philosopher named Philo, who deducts some Bible things in a way that I really like, asserts materialism as the main illness, so-called illness, of Cain's mind, which basically equals communism. Some French philosopher whose name slips me arrives at this conclusion as well. Wait, his name was John Baduliard. Without referencing Cain, he found that the biggest issue with communism, as we misuse that label, is the fact that it only addresses the materialist domain and seeks to liberate the people through that lens. If only they could control the means of production, they would surely emancipate themselves from the slavery of capitalism. And both world views revolve around exactly that. Pure, unadulterated materialism. By the way, for those who tune in to listen to the insanity kick of the madman, kick, I go to a psychologist weekly. He's quite renowned and he has found the same tendency, asking himself, how is it that communism always devolves into mass murderous anti-human insanity? And he says he wants to write on the subject that maybe it has to do with the denial of spiritual matters. Not just that they choose to not believe, but that they actively engage in the stamping out of the spiritual realm. But this will be further explained in the second episode, Beta, which deals with Cain and Abel. This is Alpha. It deals with creation. Comparative religious studies are academic terms, by the way. I remember my first year of theology... And I was explicitly asked to write up something that made sense about New Age religions. I found an, I found an NPC slash normie. That's, that just means accepted by those who dictate normie views of reality. Academic book. Going into deep impact depth detail about how the so-called 
New Age doctrine was tied to intelligence agency communities in the 1960s and 70s. As my podcast moves along and where I see fit, I will visit Hindu, Pagan, Gnostic, Platonic and Babylonian myths. Christianity is, by the way, an anti-Babylonian doctrine and narrative. If you stick around, you shall see, excuse me, here, why, later. I'll do all of this to the best of my ability. Now, other worldviews will be honestly assessed without predetermined judgment, according to me, accepting what must be said following the truth. That word again, contemporary. Another term, post-modern. You'll come to know is gooblygook. That's what I call it. I call it gooblygook. This refers to the goobly and gook in today's academies and amongst the so-called academics or ideologues, you could call them. The New Age narrative will be deducted. DMT salesmen, media pundits, their founders, and Inception likewise. So this will be swell. And uh, one thing that I can just mention when it comes to Jesuit Marxism. So what do I mean by that? Okay, well, if you had read the books that I've been asked to read and deduct as part of my education, you would know exactly what I mean. Um, (laughs) A lot of it stems out from South America. It's called liberation theology. And it's really a thinly veiled attempt at doing some communism in the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's basically what it is. Um, There's not so much else to say about it. Um, I remember a Vatican priest wrote about it and wrote about communism and why they had been so much against communism in Europe and that's because of the things that had happened in Poland and Eastern Europe and but that in South America it was wholly natural because over there it was the Americans and the right-wing sort of CIA puppets and agents doing things you know which is true it's totally true, but the thing is, <laughs> they're incorporating a bunch of stuff like uh, black feminist queer theory and eco ecofeminist theology theory. And also the Pope is going on all these meetings <laughs> with inter-religious people where they're, they're taking the religious faith down to such a level now that they're saying that as long as you believe in one God, then it's basically all the same thing. Which is a a crazy thing to say. Now, amongst Christians, it's the World Council of Churches, literally under the control of the UN in Geneva. (laughs) Um, And this they're teaching to people, I suppose. Um, And they're not very open to critical voices. And if you are critical of it, they are very quick at denouncing you as a hateful, radical, dangerous person and stuff like that. And I have experienced this and I've been reading what they ask us to read and deducting it. And my substack will also dedicate some time to this. Because 
This is called subversion. It's subverting our academies and ruining free thought. Uh, it's fine if one wants to have that view and follow along with it in their own time. And I would even say, of course, that should have some space and room to be communicated, but they need to accept critique. And, and they don't, <laughs> they don't accept people who critique it. They're not open to listen to anything. And what is so funny too is like how the Vatican and whatever liberation theology came about because the Vatican down there in South America, they owned all the land and stuff and they would not let the like indigenous people and whatever take their share of what they owned and also have a say in church matters and stuff like that. But then they were sort of like found out and now they're like flipping 180 degrees around. And now I am anti-Vatican. I'm against the Vatican for many reasons. And I think more people than just me are against the Vatican. A big part of it is the doctrines communicated through Vatican I and Vatican II. The fact that they follow the Pope as like an emissary to humanity who speaks the word of God. And then the fact that they are a literal banking system with Epstein gigs going on. Like when it comes to all their pedophilia and stuff, it's more than they just have priests who are pedos. It's not just that. They also use it as an extortion racket. But you know, this will be visited later as I go along the Bible lecture series. My first goal is to communicate what it entails to believe in the Bible from the Old Testament perspective and how rich and deep that history is and what it actually means. Later I can get into more contemporary church matters, but I wanted to squeeze that in here real quick. And Norway is truly the land of wind. but. I found a place that doesn't have too much wind right now. So now I can continue. Uh, this series will touch on the entire Bible following the Greek alphabet, deducting what I'll consider the important teaching found within the word. You will see how all this relates to modern history and ideology likewise especially once it incorporates other religions as I move along and engage myself into some form of critical religious doctrine deduction. Since this is the first episode, we start at the very beginning, which is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This claim or view is foundational and will lay the groundwork for the content matter of this entire episode. It shall even be repeated because the content of its nature is show so short. Quick note on the nature of the work I do using my voice and mind out here in the woods. 
I've decided that keeping myself tuned to nature and not showing my silly face as I livestream is best suited for where I'd like my mind and content to be. There is a fine line between creating something and becoming the literal metaverse meme of what most spiritual people are critiquing, in my circles at least, namely the technocratic totalitarian soy state. Especially if we are supposed to escape the matrix trap. Something is way off with that model, to my mind. It feels weird and wrong. Therefore, I'll share my thoughts, write stuff while outside, log off. Less online for the win. This podcast, which is Spotify exclusive thus far, averages around 140 listens per episode. My reach and scope is therefore limited at this time. But those who do listen tend to stay well more than one hour and the feedback I get is generally positive. Also I believe that this will change. It helps if you share it, but they are long, the terminology is challenging and it takes time. Now, I'd like to shill, as they say, three other thinkers who conduct themselves in fashions similar to what I'm attempting to achieve. Much of my content is based on the same sources that they visit, but I do not copy-paste them. Days of Noah is a brilliant young man. You can find him on YouTube as Day Z days with a C set of Noah. He compiles and analyzes the technocratic googly and gook through deducting propaganda specifically and impeccably. Jay Dyer is a theologian and author. I consider him one of the best learned minds on the so-called white papers globalism and psyops or psychological operations you can find him on youtube spotify it's called jay's analysis jonathan pugot is an orthodox iconographer he communicates well within the realm of symbolism artistic rendition and how that all relates to us today you can search jonathan with a th plus the symbolic world, and you will find them. They all exist currently on YouTube. These strange times. I first heard of the last person, Pugo, by the way, through this Australian psychonaut ball tripper. He is called Your Mate Tom. He has also been on Jay Dyer. Or Jay has been on his show, I suppose. These men do not complete my list of sources, of course. I rely on other academics and contemporary meme thinkers as well. The Church Fathers, Gnostic texts, etc. And I am a believer who has what I would like to call an open mind. I currently ascribe to the allegorical lens or thesis 
This is not done to muddy the waters of my standpoint, as if to hide my true intent, but it is the method I think that gives the most credible deductions of Christian stories. And many of these stories are scuffed at because people apply modernistic rational reductionism to stories that are clearly symbolic, which does not render them any less true. But at any rate, let me continue. Modernist rational reductionism denies any claim that has the spirit of childhood. Why do I use that term? childhood? Well, that's because it asks questions relentlessly and does not take authority on its word. Ironically, I will claim that belief in the book itself, or other books, opens the mind more than it traps it. Now, some are Puritan. They believe the book of God within Christianity is pure and perfect in all matters and that we must listen to it without second-guessing or second-thinking. I don't follow that framework. Another thing I'd like to discard is the notion that I'm right-wing extreme or any such thing. Under normal circumstances, I would oscillate between the party Venstre, the left party, KRF, the Christian People's Party, and Centerpartiet, the centrist party. This is a meme that is completely true. Many of us, quotation mark, people like me, perhaps people like you, are literal centrists, and some of the most dogmatically inspired and captured narcissistic, archetypical, left-wing believers will even say so. Yes, you dangerous right-wing nosbulls, you call yourself centrists. And yes, we are centrists. <laughs> While they spent God's year 2020 to 2022 denouncing anyone who didn't want to get the so-called vaccine <laughs> as dangerous totalitarian lunatics, we figured out many things. Most, most of all, we figured out them. <laughs> but this is for later. My claim still stands, and that is Spirituality seeks to understand and combine theories and notions discarded as nonsense in a materialist dogmatic form to achieve worldviews that can reconcile questions that the five senses cannot explain. Whether or not to believe in anything at all presents itself as psychological in nature. Many are strong-willed and determined and can sail through rough seas without anything having to make sense, so to speak. But all of this is criticized with solid argumentation by Rudolf Steiner, Dostoevsky, uh, Nobel Prize winners in the dozens, and Wolfgang Smith physicist, scholar, author, and researcher in mathematics, which does not prove the spiritual in any sense, but I do suggest that people try to dispel the meme of the religious imbecile telecast across all channels, and it is from this perspective that I will present and discuss the ramifications for the Bible story as it is available. 
Also, it is just funny that being so rational, as they say, have them following the wildest nonsense on display through history and utter blindness. Latest installment of this includes being so demoralized, a term you should get to know. You can find Yuri Besimov, former KGB intellectual, I guess you could call him, talking about the demoralization process. But yeah, being so demoralized that you do not care about yourself, your family, your constitution, or your own health. Then, perhaps, if you follow the lung for too much of this time, you repeat the most self-cannibalizing pattern I have ever seen. Let me mention briefly the Netflix Gods of Science, which is another term you'll learn here listening to me. That is scientism with an ism behind it. Wolfgang Smith does an excellent job at deducting what is fed to media narrative spin and normies. Apologies for my meme terminology, but it is required as science with a quotation mark and what actual science is are two entirely different stories. With him, the podcast episode titled Word for Word as Physics Answers to the Big Scientific Questions and God is highly relevant and I highly recommend it. The podcast is called Finding Genius Podcast. I highly recommend Wolfgang Smith. He's a literal mathematical genius who met Einstein as a kid. And what he deducts, it's outside of my realm. I never liked math, it bores me, and I'm not good at it. But, in any way, the state of being that is produced following such narratives and isms is vividly explained, I think, with the best authority by Rudolf Steiner as the main project and prodigy of Ahriman's greatest wish. Some call this the mark of Cain. I dare myself to use these harsh words. The spiritless void of the he, him, they, them, Netflix, SSRI, dire depression and castration. So people who sort of are in that sphere and they believe it and they're perhaps on some medicine very often I've found antidepressants and other things like it and they seem to have been taken their spark like something's sort of happened to them i realized there's more than just what type of medicine they give people today there's a reason why they feel they need the medicine in the first place and some people do need it in the first place but it's very interesting isn't it that's also part of the reason for why I'm communicating what I am. Um, Another thing people should read up on and try to understand is the Tavistock Institute. Lewis, the psychologist in particular working for them, an identitarian ID, identitarian ideology. Many are commenting on that phenomena right now which is taking people's identities, race, sexuality, etc. 
and turning it into brainwashing programs. The Intercept, a really good, according to my view, publication wrote on this um, and how that also comes from intelligence agencies. Further, you have Father Seraphim Rose. He does an excellent job at highlighting the tendency of demoralization and deconstruction in his book Nihilism, the root of the evolution of the modern man. Just to add insult to injury when it comes to these claims so that people can understand, I'm not just making this up, is that plenty of great scientists, Jonas Salk most notably, the man involved with the polio vaccine, spout all kinds of Darwinistic Malthusianism, that's a term you can Google, Google Malthusianism, in his book The Survival of the Fittest, for instance, he divides humanity into cluster A and cluster B, where one is supposed to die off, while the brilliant men and women of scientism, ism, like him, will live. The illusions of normie society are extra crisp when you behold Bertrand Russell, whom they label the great humanist. He's a great hero to a lot of these people. I've actually found a really funny, like <laughs> in normie way, uh, in the Twitter sphere. A lot of people who are going along with some incredibly evil things in the name of science, progress and love and whatever, <sighs> tend to cite him <laughs> for some reason uh, but yeah uh, let me see his notions on humanity yeah i will dedicate an entire episode to the wild dreams of the elitist eugenicists at a later stage i do not respect their views when their views manifests as self-loathing slavery in hissing defense of their masters but I will not dedicate one second more of the talk today to their gooblygook, woke little world of sadness. Although atheism could be right, just as Christianity could be right, just like Hinduism could be right. No one knows. But my belief is firm and somewhat alternative compared to traditional Christians. The most honest assessment of them all is agnosticism, but it is really boring and it follows the path of thinking that you are not smart or wise enough to reach your own conclusions and say something with any level of self-confidence. Uh, which you know, is really similar to how you know, everyone's being treated like children. They have to be according to their masters and those who treat them in such a way, be spoon-fed what to think about their health by the media and stuff. And this I've even seen. I've seen it in Norwegian newspapers. Like, yes, we need to treat them like children. And then they've also said stuff like, we're losing control over what people think. <laughs> and then the, those who are down with that, this is like, okay. Yeah, you have surrendered your humanity then and your your own being like as a thinking person you've just said yes <laughs> i'm a non-person my opinion does not matter <laughs> which is just kind of crazy
But this is not the issue at hand, nor is there any value in arguing around it. What I find fruitful, which is a funny word because my story today will revolve around the fruit, is discussing the parameters for what it means in the context of Western civilization. The edge we are standing at, our community, the next enlightenment as, enlightenment, as they call it, of which we should all participate. How to proceed and why. In this regard, I hope you will enjoy my lecture series, which will develop me as much as you. Much time is spent and has been spent of my own spare time to prepare this series, where I will present what I consider of importance, given the times we are in of the Bible. But like I said, other religions will be presented as well. In particular, the Gnostics and others who seek to latch into Christianity as either an alternative to the truth or the truth that was hidden, as they say, will be deducted. Oh, by the way, I totally believe in science, but whether the Big Bang happened for no reason at all, or, or whether Humans used to be fish that climbed out from the lake. Symbolizes firstly whether one fancies nihilism or the hero's journey. It is my view that none of these matters can be sufficiently proved, but what one chooses as their self-constructionism tale matters. A lot. The man who founded this 12-step program specifically states find God as one of the commandments if you will why also how can it be that history repeatedly shows us through the gulag archipelago by Alexander Solstoyevskin or Solstoyevskin ah, I'm not the best at saying these names <laughs> and many others uh, and that there are these like human right ethics people that are like literally every time they're just totally evil. It's like every time they appear to cleanse God from society, everything goes to total cow dung turd turns. Isn't that weird? No, not at all. It's not weird. It makes perfect sense. And thousands of thinkers have said so repeatedly. This is how you identify ideological trapped nor narrative normies. They believe a bunch of stuff that showcases itself as destructive repeatedly, then you can find papers, white papers, and academics who lay out in incredibly high details how and why it happens. The entire process is on display. Like atheism, uh, not as a personal conviction. I, like, I have nothing against whatever people believe. I'm talking about how societies change with spirituality because politics is downstream from spirituality and when it comes to atheism on the larger scale of social affairs it is even described by the peddlers of it the people who sort of like created it as a thing as being nothing but a culture wrecking ball it is intended to destabilize and devolve societies before revolution appears. They have written extensively on this. Anyway, back to Genesis 1.1 and here it is again. And that is 
as established and I will be repeating myself like I said I would <laughs> in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters an interesting note I'd like to include here is a well-known scientist, an atheist, and very decorated man named Herbert Spencer died in 1903. In his scientific career, he had become noted for one great discovery. He discovered that all of reality and all that exists in the universe can be contained in five categories, and it fits so well with the opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, that's time, God, that's force, created, that's action, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. And this is sort of what, uh, this is what Wolfgang Smith gets into as well, when he describes that the ancients had figured out a lot of things and they were not these like imbeciles and whatever. There's also an increasing amount of evidence that there's been some sort of civilization before. And when you read the Old Testament, that's no surprise at all, is it? <laughs> but then you have Gnostics and so-called enlightened people trying to turn it into something else. Now, they could be right, of course, but I shall provide you with the framework for why I think that's wrong. But anyway, all of this and more is contained within Genesis 1.1. That, that that Herbert Spencer dude said. Another note here, quickly, hopefully, is the fact that many things which are just true, not speaking biblically here, but findings concerning the latest PSYOP, Ukraine, and yes, I will label that a PSYOP, are being dismissed as untrue through the well-known conspiracy label. And it is also being labeled as right-wing and dangerous well yes the son of the world's most powerful man being a crackhead with ties to ukrainian gas and biolab business is certainly dangerous but in the meme sphere of things just generally speaking those who denounce me and others as crazy have repeatedly failed at every turn and in every manner at deducting things that are just true. And academies and others have decided to label truth itself as something that is right-wing, which it isn't. <laughs> and it perfectly encapsulates, encapsulates and summarizes the findings of Father Seraphim Rose, Wolfgang Smith and others. It is remarkable to behold their state of mind, honestly. And my claim will identify that the main obstacle we face now when meeting forces such as these is lack of spirituality. This segment of the Bible narration story is quite simple. You either believe that some force that we would label God created the heavens and the earth, or you don't. Science, which is different from scientism, does not disprove that narrative. 
nor does the religion and what I and others believe disprove science. But saying that catch-all term, scientists agree, and they say this and that and the other thing is the finest self-deception. There is so much pride to it as well. Labeling something into the lowest common denominator and following the crowd, another thing, one's weird historical things, starts to manifest. How often is the crowd correct? If you read through it, you'll find that they're most often wrong, categorically. And another thing. I won't cite all their names, but there is an incredible assortment of scientists in the Nobel Prize category saying they believe in God. Like Heisenberg, at the bottom of natural science, God waits, etc. Which does not disprove or prove any of this. I'm just saying that the atheist meme of the religious imbecile through media narratives is nonsense. Clearly it is. What is happening is that so-called normies who don't seem to read too much and who fail to figure out that when the media labels something tinfoil, it's usually true, consider themselves so rational and enlightened and self-weary, humble, etc. Science or scientism is truly the latest gobble, gobbles propaganda drop. And another thing that I find interesting. Carl Sagan and Michio Kaku, both astrophysicists, are on camera saying that it's weird how physics perfectly mimics ancient Jewish Kabbalah findings, etc. Again, it's the same with Wolfgang Smith. And another thing. Christianity stems from Mesopotamian myths. The common heritage is Zoroastrianism. Once prophets and actual events happens, according to the book, that's when one can start denouncing the tales or stories with some level of actual integrity. Whether God created the world or not is outside the realm of what can be proven, but it carries significant significance on our society's level of nihilism, which, well, they are being intentionally, intentionally increased. According to whom? Oh, according to me and many others. But with that, let's get into the Bible story, which revolves around creation. And a key issue, first, whether it was created or not, we can't prove or disprove. My claim is that it yeah, has a high degree of relevance to how you see the world and how fit you are to sort of stand for what's right or not in the form of yeah, nihilism and stuff like it. Like you don't really care about others or other human beings or what happens. It doesn't really matter to you. Um, that's one thing. And then there's the other thing, which is Mr. Harari, another scientist. What's his full name again? Let me see. Uh, 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 Yuval 
Yuval Harari. Yes. By the way, I'm back with Plato. You can probably hear him in the background. I'm over here now in the Andromeda Galaxy, trying to uh, establish contact with Durek and his kin. Just letting them know that I think they're fallen angels or insane narcissists trying to fuck people over through what they say in the media but anyway back to <laughs> what i'm actually talking about one thing i may mention quickly before we get into real stuff is yuval harari and i'll leave it short this is what he writes in the guardian governments and corporations will soon know you better than yourself Belief in the idea of free will has become dangerous and humans are hackable animals. This reminds me a bit of some of the Nietzschean deductions. And I jam Sam, Sam Harris in there too. Uh, the blue check mark sort of worldview is a world of, is a worldview of total slavery. And it comes from Malthusian scientism. That's where it comes from. You can't blame this on religion, that's for sure. Um, so, how do these views not come from anything <clears throat> but fervent scientismism and anti-humanism? By the way, he's a Klaus Schwab consultant. So, let me provide an alternative. Huh. And by the way, you should tune into it and listen to the word, not my word, but the word. Why? Because the price on the table is your re-emergence into the angelic realm. That's literally what's on the table, according to this worldview. I'll be getting more into this, but like most of the like mystery traditions and Age of Aquarius and all kinds of stuff too, comes from like Babylonian myths and old Egyptian myths and stuff like it and uh, it's pretty much fallen watcher narratives and rhetoric all of it whether you actually believe that in the physical realm or not but I'll be getting into that more soon so yeah the price is your re-emergence into the angelic realm which is schizoid enough but think it through we don't know this, but there are two worldviews. No, three. One is what I've just read to you, with what such anti-human categorization provides. Then there is spirituality, generally speaking. And then there is Christianity, which is quite unique. It is untrue. Well, it is true that there are like 3,000 religions, and then we pick one out of them. Except it's not really. It's quite significant in its uniqueness all the other sort of ancient Babylonian tablet myths and stuff like it they all go into like an ancient sort of eternal Hindu wheel of time where a god or several gods they fall they come in and like teach humanity things which is perfectly in line with Genesis and the book of Enoch and the rest of it by the way and uh, but anyway let me continue and get into the straight cut language analysis of the genesis 
story where Genesis 1-1 has been spoken twice, but these, this deals with the entirety of one Genesis 1-2. And here are some of the most important claims. By the way, I recommend people read it themselves. It's quite short, and today's episode revolves specifically around Genesis 1-1-2-25, starting with, and here it is again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. The divide here concerns belief, and its associated outfalls. Ultimately, there are some options that every uh, reader of Genesis is faced with. Either the vast array of complex organisms reflects the wisdom and power of a personal creator, and specifically the God who has revealed himself in scripture, or all these marvels somehow evolved spontaneously from inanimate matter, and no real sense can be made of anything at all. So there is the nihilist. Whether we believe the Genesis record or not makes all the difference in the world. Douglas Kelly is a professor in systematic theology, and he has written on this subject with great insight. He says, essentially mankind has only two choices, down from the three that I gave. Either we evolved from slime and can be explained only in a materialistic sense, the 17th century Enlightenment dogma heritage, or we have been made on a heavenly pattern. Let me see. <laughs> I got a bit distracted by Plato here. Um, let me see. Yeah, and he is right in that. Those are ultimately the only two choices. You can either believe what Genesis says or not. If Genesis 1-1 is true, then the universe and everything in it was created by a loving and personal God. Now, this is where some of the critique from outsiders is understandable to a higher degree. Because now we're not dealing anymore in the sort of notion that maybe there was a God who created everything, but we're getting into prophecy and the fulfillment of it. And Jesus Christ, he is the evidence of that to Christians. But I can understand why people have qualms with some of the things being written. Especially in the Old Testament. And that's uh, to a large extent the reason for me doing this to begin with. But anyway, whether it is true or not. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Nobody knows that for sure. But if we follow along and assume... That the Genesis account is true, then we bear the stamp of God and are loved by him. Which brings me to the next section of Alpha and Omega significance, which is Genesis 1.27. And God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Like I said, Genesis 1.27. The message here is quite extraordinary and special, so to speak, because according to the narrative, we are made in his image. 
Human beings therefore have a dignity, value, and obligation that transcends that of other creatures. Moreover, if Genesis is true, then we not only have God's answer to the questions of what we are here for and how we got where we are, but we also have the promise of salvation from our sin, and further, original sin. And this episode does not revolve around sin, My next podcast goes into Cain and Abel following the eating of the apple, where sin equals the wage of death, not eternal damnation. And the Cain and Abel story is the start of human sin. It's not really the eating of the apple, is what I've come to believe. I had the intuition that this was true based on some tendencies that I saw and that's for next episode so I won't dedicate too much time to it right now but suffice to say it revolves around Gnostic inversion and saying that God is an evil dictator and that uh, you know Adam and Eve they were not in control of their own faculties so he shouldn't be judging them but that's not really what the story teaches to begin with and that's from reading the book of Enoch And my finding or hunch in that matter turned out to be true. So I'm quite happy about that. It means that I must be on to something. And it is interesting that vast arrays of Christians haven't read that story. The eating of the apple sets the stage for later events. And it's it's true that in the Bible it is described that God sent them away and was angry at them and stuff. That is not what it says in the book of Enoch. So I wonder why it is in that manner. It could be true and untrue at the same time, but there's more to it, this than that. But anyway, now, according to some, if you throw out Genesis, the authority of all scripture is fatally compromised, which would ultimately mean that the God of the Bible simply does not exist. And if some other kind of creator God exists, he evidently does not care enough about his creation to provide any revelation about himself, his plan for creation, or his will for his creatures. This deduction is too dramatic for me, and it comes from that dude that I introduced this with. Uh, What was his name again? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I should have, whatever, that dude. Yes, Douglas Kelly was his name, of course. I'm kind of multitasking here. Go get it. Oh, so flink good. So fast, running after the ball, you know. Uh, he's just a crazy boy. But yeah, so here it is. Um... Back to, yeah, back to Genesis, in accordance with where my focus dwells. Now, according to some, Douglas Kelly amongst them, if you throw out Genesis, the authority of all scripture is fatally compromised, which would ultimately mean that the God of the Bible simply does not exist, and if some other kind of creator God exists, he evidently does not care enough, da-da-da. This deduction is too dramatic for me to comply with, 
but it certifies the reason for materialists, scientists and believers and Gnostics to seek to undermine the creation story. Nowhere in the Bible is there as much subversion and gooblygook as in Genesis 1, 1 to 2.25, but especially Genesis 3, which is the famous apple-eating scene. There are, of course, several extra-biblical accounts of creation from pagan sacred writings. They are mythical, fanciful, and kind of silly, often featuring hideously ungodly gods. Those who imagined such deities exist would have to conclude that they have left us without any reason for hope, without any clear principles by which to live, without any account accountability, without any answers to our most basic questions, and the most troubling of all, without any explanation or solution for the dilemma of evil. And I am not trying to get at pagans. I really like them. Uh, this is one take of it. There is also a lot of human sacrifice associated with them. But they also accomplished many great things. And I feel like Rudolf Steiner does the best job at deducting this in a fashion that is worthy of the little we know of them. But according to my view, that will be extrapolated in higher detail later on, more specifically episode number 3, Gamma. As I move through the Bible and visit the book of Enoch and other books that have been removed, I'll get into why I think a lot of that, or most of it, perhaps all of it, uh, is fallen watcher rhetoric or belief, at least. And I really mean that. But anyway, if Genesis is untrue, we might as well conclude that no God exists at all. Uh, which is precisely the association associated with modern evolutionary thinking, described through Jonas Salk and Yuval Harari. Keep that in mind. Some mantras you should be aware of, seeing as we hear them everywhere. We have no moral accountability to any higher being. All morality, indeed truth itself, is ultimately relative. In fact, truth, falsehood, goodness and evil are all mer merely theoretical notions with no real meaning or, or significance. Especially the French existentialists, they inhabit this view to the fullest. Nothing really matters in the vast immensity of an infinite, impersonal universe. If Genesis, or at least another unspecified belief in some sort of God. Now, I'm, I'm being specific with Genesis and the Christian story, because it is the only one that says we are created in the image of God, and it is the only one that provides a solution to the problem of good and evil. That much I can say with a lot of authority. Even uh, Hindu gods and whatever, they do not get into that. And believe me, I've, I've read a lot of those scrolls and texts. and I'll be getting into that too. But nothing really matters, yes. Um, and if there is no God, nihilism is the next step. 
utter irrationality becomes the most rational choice. See postmodern or postmortem, as I call it, academia. Now, again, this does not assume that all atheists are nihilistic. Uh, many of them are pretty much with it to an incredible extent. But from my subjective experience, I've witnessed a lot of people who are what we label demoralized. They don't believe in any god or any higher forms. Uh, you're just an insignificant speck of dust who will return to the nothing you came from. So, there's not a lot of spirit juice, as I call it, in those segments. And I've been somewhat this way myself. This is a whole phenomenon studied immensely lately. It's a type of self-hatred. It also fits very well with the spirit of Cain. An interesting point is this. Any sort of tampering, especially with this part, Genesis 1, 2 and 3, amounts to subversion of Christianity itself. And you cannot treat Genesis 1 to 3 as a mere poetic saga without severe implications for the rest of the story. You cannot alter the beginning without altering the ending. Everything through and through the story serves to construct itself. This is history and at the same time it isn't history. This is pre-flood, remember, it's fallen angel times before written records. You know, um, you can't attach historical lenses of modernism to it, but I shall proceed to treat it as the truth for my purposes. And I know it could be untrue. It could also be true. The point of my work is to showcase this in juxtaposition to the anti-human Orwellian Malthusian new think on display. And this shall be done further in the next episode. However, I have some closing remarks regarding the garden. And as I've said, I'm quite into Philo's way of handling biblical narratives. And uh, he is a thinker I will consult again in the next episode regarding Cain and Abel. He's a first century Jewish philosopher, and his name is Philo, so you can see that's where the name philosophy comes from, who fully acknowledged that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 were two different stories that were not intended to perfectly match up with each other. Genesis 1 was intended to emphasize that creation was a gift, whereas Genesis 2 focused on what it meant to be human. In any case, the early chapters of human origin aren't doing history. They are providing the worldview lens through which we can interpret history. They are constructing the stage upon which the drama of history will be played out. And because of that, they shouldn't be judged by historical standards. And if you do, you are going to miss in interpret them. The fact is that person X would be wrong to reject Genesis 1 to 2 because of so-called 
historical discrepancy between Genesis 1 and 2, and person Y would be wrong to frantically try to explain away the so-called historical discrepancy, which is like an academic term they like to fling on it. But this is mostly done from the material rationalist perspective. And that's because it's not a discrepancy or contradiction, because it's not even trying to do history in the first place. We'd be much better off putting all that to the side and instead realizing that Genesis 1 sets out the themes of one God, that's important, a good and orderly creation, that's important, and man being made in God's image, that's very important. And Genesis 2 elaborates on what it means to be human and the role God intentionally intends for human beings to have within his creation. With that, uh, we can get to some of the specifics we are told about the Garden of Eden. In, in Genesis 2, 4 to 14, we are told a number of details. There is a garden. It is in the east. It is in Eden. There is a variety of trees there. There is a river that goes through the garden and then breaks up into four rivers that go out to the rest of the earth. There is also the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In order to understand what is being described, we have to try to see that stuff through the eyes of the people living in the ancient Near East. And it goes back to those original creation stories. In the ancient Near East, most of the creation stories starts with the waters of primordial chaos. In this respect, Genesis 1-1-2 is no different. And in the ancient Near East, most of the creation stories describe the land somehow coming up out of the waters to provide a place where human beings could live. And again, Genesis 1 is no different. And in the ancient Near East, most of the creation stories then describe some sort of hill or mountain where the gods would dwell in their royal palaces. In other words, their temples. And believe it or not, here in Genesis 2, what we have isn't that different. For we should understand Eden to be not some sort of Amazon jungle, but rather God's holy mountain, the place of his royal palace and his temple. And I'll be getting deep into the book of Enoch and the book of Ezekiel later on, because a lot of this is described there, and it makes a lot of sense, and it's honestly really cool. But once you understand that, um, you will then get a better idea as to what kind of garden Genesis 2 is describing. You can, for the sake of understanding it symbolically, Think of a literal king living in his palace, high on some mountains, mountain overlooking the city and surrounding lands. What does that king have about his palace on the royal grounds? That's right, his royal gardens. Therefore, we need to see that just as a king often would have walled off royal gardens that surrounded his royal palace, the Garden in Eden should be understood to be as the royal garden 
of the God, the king of creation, of creation himself. And this is actually quite a different picture than the stereotypical picture we encounter in Sunday school curriculum. What is being described is his royal residence and gardens of the king of creation, not some sort of wild jungle. In addition, the Garden of Eden is depicted as the source of life for the entire creation. That is why we have the imagery of the river that flows out of Eden that breaks into four other rivers that go throughout the earth. The Tigris, Euphrates, Pishon and Gihon. Now, we know where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are, but the Pishon and Gihon are a bit of a mystery. Some think they might be referencing the Nile or the Jordan, but it's pretty much conjecture. The point, though, should be obvious. The reason there are four rivers is because it is understood that they go out to the four corners of the earth. This imagery of the river of life throwing through the four corners of the world shouldn't be surprising, for God himself is the ultimate source of creation. Therefore, it is fitting to portray his royal residence, in other words, his temple, as the source of life and center of his creation. And that's what it says too in Revelation and through Ezekiel and other texts that once the funky show starts happening one time or the other, whether that's coming upon us now or later, who knows. But once that happens, the world will be remade. Uh, everyone will be judged in accordance to what is just and right. And that's what's kind of scary about God. It's because when he judges something, it is actually right. He can't really be wrong in anything. <laughs> But then the world will be remade and a thousand year imperium will be established and life for the entire earth will flow out from the garden. Now for modernist, rationalist, Netflix-minded normies, all this is just gooblygook. I realize that, but for some other people who are a bit more open and they kind of know about Graham Hancock and Gaia Ascending and stuff, now that's the Gnostics, and I'll be ripping them a new one later because they really need to have it ripped uh, because they're saying some crazy, crazy stuff. But, and like ancient aliens, you know, theories, if you're just like kind of a bit open to other things, none of this should not make sense to you just so you know that there's something to this now whether it is specifically this or or not i'm not sure but that's what i will be basically finding out myself too through doing this incidentally the eden-like imagery is associated with the temple throughout the bible both the original tabernacle as well as Solomon's temple were decorated with imagery of fruit trees and other Eden images. In Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel envisions a future temple out of which would flow a river that would water the entire earth. And in Revelation 22, when John goes into the New Jerusalem, which is described in dimensions that recall the Holy of Holies, he finds, you guessed it, both the tree of life and the river of life that flows out to water 
the entire earth. And I see all of this symbolically and in reality. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but see this as sort of like a state of being. And Jesus speaks in parables. I'll be getting into Jesus later. This is my Bible lecture series surrounding the Old Testament. Then I'll be getting into some theological history about the letters and what Paul wrote. And then the literal words of Jesus. And through all those topics, I suppose, I'll be covering everything that's important, really. <laughs> um, but anyway, I figure there's enough information now in one go. Remember some of the things. Uh, created or not, nihilism. Created in his image or not. This is what divides just most other god faiths from the Abrahamic religions. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I realize I haven't even touched on 3 yet, but I will next time. Uh, and also divinity. So the next episode, Beta, uh, will, believe it or not, be more technical than this. And it deals with the Apple story, original sin, Cain and Abel, materialism, the book of Enoch, and what that all entails. Yes, so... What the garden signifies. Yeah, I've sort of gone through that. Sort of like a state of mind, I guess you could say. Uh, the apple, what prompted the snake, as we call him, a fallen angel. That, yeah, and what that means. And how insincere forces. Now, atheists and rationalists, I do not consider them insincere forces. Because at the very least, they stand for what they believe in. But there's a bunch of Gnostics and other other heretics uh, dealt with by the church fathers. And they conduct themselves in a very insincere forces type of way. So next episode will be more about that. Even though it does go into the materialism of Cain. Uh, now, this episode serves in its entirety as an introduction to the rest of the subject matter. And with that, I wish you a grand Sunday and God bless.